Hey, before we get into today's episode, I want to make you aware of an offer that our guests are extending for So Sorry for Your Loss listeners. They are the most amazing organizing professionals. They know firsthand what it's like to lose a loved one. So they're the perfect people to work with you if you need some help organizing the things of your person. They are giving you 15% off of a one-hour virtual session with them. Nicole and Catherine are out of DC, but thanks to this virtual world that we're in, they're able to connect with people anywhere. Go to their website, neatnickdc.com, click on their contact form, let them know you're looking for some help and tell them about code SSFYL for that 15% off. Trust me, when you hear from them today, it is just going to click about how great of an idea this is to have someone help you on this emotional, tedious journey of organizing your life during grief. So code SSFYL when you contact neatnickdc.com for 15% off of a one hour virtual session with today's guests, Nicole and Catherine. Enjoy the show. Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit SSFYLpodcast.com for more. Hi, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Good. Nice to see you guys again. We have organizing professionals from DC here. They do everything from moving, design, reorganizing a space. And Nicole Anzia, you started the company in 2007 and also a columnist for Washington Post. Give me a little bit about on what made you start the company. I just had this feeling, right, that so many people were working in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so darn much people didn't have time to pick up their dry cleaners, get their hair cut, do, you know, just everyday basic things. And so I thought that this was sort of a skill that I had and could help people with, you know, so they can pursue their careers and also come home to a organized, neat, stress-free environment. And, I, and so mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. was sort of the perfect environment in which to start mm-hmm. this because it's such a frenetic place for a lot of people. And there's a lot of young families in recent years. So I just thought maybe I can use my skill set to help those people and those families. And it's completely taken off since. So congratulations to you. And Thank then you. Catherine DiGiovanni joined your team, 20 years of experience. Catherine, is there something about organizing for you that makes you feel like you're fulfilling life's purpose? That's a great question. I love how you phrase that. Yes, absolutely. I do feel that I'm just, I'm a natural organizer. My mom was extremely organized. I think I have, you know, just a real, I have a, I just can't see things how they should be or how they should be organized. And I really developed a passion for it after I had my children and was sort of setting up my house. I just felt like the way that I'm doing things and the way that I'm figuring this out is really something that could be helpful to other people. And I was in kind of communications and nonprofit work for, you know, 20 plus years, did good work and did lots of interesting work. And I'm very grateful for that part of my career. But I felt like organizing was a way in which I could really make a direct impact on people, improve their lives every single day. And that is what we do. So it's it's a very, it can be a very fulfilling, you know, industry to be in for sure. Absolutely. I'm sure that like move that bus moment when people come back to their homes and they see what you've done with it is just like 
Ah, it just gives you so much pleasure to be able to see people really enjoy your work. And Catherine, I love what you said about how you really found this passion after the birth of your children, because nothing makes you feel more unorganized <laughs> than having, having children. children. Sure. And I only have one, but the amount of stuff that is just constantly everywhere is it's insane. I've really had to like tap into my inner peace and be like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> then and it's just out of a order. constantly changing environment when you have kids. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, there's not only so much stuff and things feel a little chaotic, but it's like ever changing, right? I mean, when they yeah. go from babies to toddlers to teenagers, it's sort of a challenge at every stage in some ways to keep, to keep organized and to keep sort of things flowing in and out in a way that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. And, and certainly, and I know a lot of new moms feel this way. It's like you get inundated with all these gifts, which is wonderful. But if you're a new mom, you have no idea what the hell half of it is for. So you don't even know <laughs> where to put it or what to do with it yeah. until it's, you know, like months later, you're like, oh, that's what that thing does. Okay. That clearly goes in this spot or whatever. Yeah. Once you move beyond survival mode, for sure. Then yeah. you have that's so true. Figure that out. so true. And also all of the hand-me-downs. Like it's yeah. so nice. People will bring you like a bag of, you know, two T clothes, but your kid doesn't fit into two T clothes yet. So you got to put that somewhere and then remember, I mean, that to me, the, the hand-me-down management is like a, <laughs> a big skill set for moms. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but moms end up doing it. Yeah, moms get the brunt of it, I think. So talking about birth to death, you know, unfortunately, both of you are very qualified to be here on the So Sorry for Your Loss podcast as you've both experienced the loss of a parent yourself. And I think from what I remember from the pre-interview call that we had that they both of those experiences or, or one of the experiences for you, Catherine, kind of wove in with the birth of your child. Is that right? So maybe we'll start with Catherine, if you want to tell us about your experience first, and then Nicole. Sure, sure. Thank you. Yes, my my father had been ill for kind of a long time. He had like advanced renal disease, and but he was doing pretty well. And my son was born. He was five weeks old. And we were getting ready to put our house on the market. Like it was the day before we were putting our house on the market. And I got, I got the call from my brother that my, my, he had, you know, discovered that my dad had passed away. Yeah. So it was home, you know, real estate transaction, newborn with a two-year-old and the death of my dad. So it was, yeah. I mean, I just kind of was a zombie. I swear to God, I was like a zombie for like a, at least a years. Year. Yeah. yeah. You're just going through the motions, but um, speaking of survival mode, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, to me, I look back on it. It's like, that's okay. I did get through it. And you know, I don't know that I did everything the best, but I got through it. But, you know, I know you and I talked about being a little bit woo-woo about, about death and, and, you know, the afterlife and stuff. Right before my brother called me, I was sitting on my couch with my son and I had this feeling that came over me. Like, I've got to call my dad. I need mm. to call him. Like, I have not talked to him in a little bit. Like, I have to call him. And my brother called like maybe 20 minutes later. So I do think that that was... Like yeah, like an intuition. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So my brother and my dad were both out in California. My husband stayed home with both of my kids, which I'm sure was so challenging looking back on it. Newborn and a two-year-old. And I flew out to California for the funeral. I was out there for a few days and still in my maternity suit. <laughs> I was oh. still in maternity clothes. I had this, this, I had this moment after the funeral. I, we had like a little reception and then we had went back to my brother's house and we were just kind of like hanging out 
and I had to go up and pump because of course I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Nursing. And I was like sitting in this like guest bedroom with like my giant maternity pants, <laughs> like pumping with like a beer in my hand, like in this <laughs> room. <laughs> and I was just like, this, this is it. This is rock bottom. Oh my gosh. Right. I was so like cute. And it was just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I can picture this to a T. Right. And like the, the, the sound, how did I get here? Right. And like right, the sound, sound of the cool. machine, <laughs> just adding insult to injury. Yeah. <laughs> so bad, totally. so bad, but I got through it and you know, everything we, you know, we got through it. We sold our house, we moved, we're living in Bethesda now, everything worked out great. And then four years ago, my mom who lived in North Carolina was diagnosed with very advanced lung cancer and lived about five, five weeks and, wow. uh, and died. And that was very, very, and I was kind of like the lead, you know, my brother sort of dealt with my dad. So I was sort of like the lead person and, you know, yeah. she had big extended family. There was a lot of moving pieces with that. And that was actually right after I met Nicole. Yeah. So Nicole really, I just started working with Nicole a little bit. And so she was really helpful to me throughout that whole process. And, you know, we can talk about that as we talk about my mom's state and all of her stuff. But yeah, that was, that was a journey, but yeah. that was about four years ago. Thanks okay. for sharing all that. Yes. Yes. Ooh, yes. So my dad died in 1996. I was 23 years old. I had moved to Washington, D.C. the year prior for an internship and was here working. He had cancer. So we sort of knew that he could pass, you know, like it wasn't a, a it wasn't a sudden death. However, he died on December 17th and I was about to go home for Christmas, like two days later. And nobody in my family really wanted to worry me. And so they didn't really tell me. Um, <gasps> how sick he was and just figured like, oh, I'll be home in a couple of days. That was the wrong decision for them to make. <laughs> but, oh, um, but so and I sort of, you know, th that morning, I distinctly remember I woke up, I would volunteer, I guess it was maybe a Thursday morning, I would volunteer at this homeless shelter in the morning before I went to work. And I, I went in and I just sort of had this sort of weird feeling, you know, like everything wasn't like a normal morning. I went in, it, dark outside. It's winter. I went in and we would feed these homeless men breakfast. And then after that, I would go to my office and I just kept feeling like off and like something is not right. And wow. Course, so you both had that. That's crazy. And this is before cell phones, right? Yeah. Nobody could call me. Okay. Yeah. So I got to my office and the receptionist who was this lovely woman named Claudette had gotten a call from my brother. And wow. I was just I mean, to say that I lost my mind is, is a, a huge understatement. I mean, I don't really remember the rest of that day and night and how I got back to my house where I was living and got on a plane. And, you know, so I was just going to say that like for, you know, in different stages of life, the way things get handled is so different, right? So like, I was living here and I'm relatively young and people were sort of trying to protect me. So anyway, it was just, I guess it's like, it's a little bit different how you react when you're a little bit older than when yeah. you're young and it's the first time you're going through this and yeah. you're and you know, you haven't really lost a significant person in your life. And my dad and I were exceptionally close, exceptionally close. So it was just, I mean, for at least a year, two years, I mean, for so long, I was just a mess. I was just 
a mess because I came back to Washington, D.C. and was here all by myself again and Ugh. had some friends but had only moved here, you know, like a year earlier and was trying right. to sort of make my way in a new career and didn't want to, you know, feel down and wanted to sort of experience, you know, the, the life I was attempting to experience before my dad died. So I always have this regret, right, that like I wasn't there when he died, but I do take solace in the last time that I talked to him. I said, you know, I, I finished the conversation with, I love you and I'll see you soon. And that has always really stuck with me. It's just like something that it's really important to tell people, whether they're sick or not, whether they're yeah. you know, whatever. It's just because you never know that that might be the last time you talk with them. So absolutely, um, that's sort of something I, I like to remember and focus on uh, the positive of that last conversation. Wow. So I have a couple of things to say to that one good on you for being able to focus on that last phone call and those words that you said. Yeah. I mean, I, I say a lot of it sometimes is like this defense mechanism that you latch onto anything that you possibly can yeah. as a survival to make yourself feel okay about the situation. So that's great that you're able to do that. My heart completely goes out to you for have being in this new city at a young age. I was in the city I was in for, I think like six years at the time. I had just moved in with my boyfriend who is now my husband. I was drowning in friends and people that wanted to help. And I have never felt more alone in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine how that must've been for you to yeah. not have that established network of people readily around you at the time. And then also what I'm interested in, did that create strife between you and your family about the decision they made not to call you? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. But, you know, as I age and as I get older and I have my own children, I can kind of understand where they were coming from. But of course, at the time, you know, I'm the youngest of three kids. So I think that they always consider me to be a little bit less able to handle things that they might Agile. be able to handle. Like I'm the baby in the family. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, to me, I was a college graduate. I was, I had a job. I was working in DC. I was clearly an adult who could probably handle this. And of course I would have popped on a plane immediately, you know? And so I think that they feel a little bit, bit of regret. It was the focus of a lot of anger, I think for a little while, because I sort of missed being there or wasn't there but you know as I grow older it's like it would kill me to focus on that exclusively right. yeah of right. course I mean, of course situation for everything right nobody has it easy my brother would rather not have had to have been there you know in the right. moment when everything was happening so there's right. it just I think that's one thing to realize in all of this right is that when somebody you know close to you dies it's like there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of personalities and a lot of different ways that people breathe. And it's not right. like a cookie cutter process and probably and hindsight's always 2020, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it just brings up a lot of things that people might not even be conscious of that affects their behavior and affects the way they're, you know, dealing oh, yeah. with the situation. So you know, I like to think that most people are just doing the best they can. And that's not always exactly what is right or exactly what you want them to do. But we all have to move. Yeah. I mean, I look back at it. So the, the situation with my dad was he had a heart attack and there were about five days. He was unconscious the whole time. And, you know, it happened on a Wednesday and he coded a couple times on a Thursday. And we say we feel like we lost him Thursday, but it went until Monday until we finally had to make that decision. But in between that time, I look back at things that I said or decisions I made or things in talking with the doctors or family or whatever, where I'm like, how did I have the brain cells to rub together to actually do that? Like, I'm proud of myself for making that decision, but I right now be like 
don't even know that I could have done that under that extreme pressure. I'm shocked that I even was able to, it's like looking back at somebody else. So to your point, Catherine, yeah, you just become somebody else almost when you're faced with the line of fire in these tragedies. Yeah. Adrenaline kicks in and, you know, stuff just takes over that we're not in control of. But I would say just as an aside that my mother-in-law who just passed away on September 12th, on September 11th, when he was communicating with his brother who was in Charlottesville with my mother-in-law, I had the instinct to tell him that he needed to go that day. They had told us that she had between six months, like a month and six months to live. But I knew based on what I was hearing that the situation wasn't good and I had to go immediately. And he spent that day and that evening with her and she died the next morning. Mm. And so I think, you know, it's also important though to trust your instincts, right? Yeah. yeah. You're probably, <laughs> your instincts are probably right on target, yeah. you know, even if you're not all woo woo or whatever, <laughs> like it is, yeah. I am a believer. Yeah. And that, that just sort of, it's, it's a strange connection that we have. Yeah, you know, with family members, and it's an amazing connection. But that trusting your instincts is, I think, something that's really valuable. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we talked about in our pre-call that when this fanfare is over, so when the memorial service is the funeral service, all these things are done, and it's like people kind of disappear from just being around you or surrounding you all the time and helping you, and that's when the real grief sets in. That's when you're left with kind of the rubble of this disaster that just happened. That's when the possessions come to light. These things no longer have an owner. And now it's left in our plate to figure out what happens with this. So I think that's probably what contributes to this theme of organization that we're talking about around death being so difficult because these items are not yours. You don't necessarily know what they were meant for or what the person intended them or, you know, if there was somebody they wanted them to go to, if there's not a will or anything left behind. And then there's this extreme emotional value tied to these items. So decisions don't come easy. I did, I think it was my fourth episode that I had done for So Sorry for Your Lost podcast about my experience with organizing some of my dad and my grandmother's things when I was going through a move. And this was stuff that I took possession of after they died and then threw them at the bottom of my closet and said, I will handle this another day. And of course, I never wanted that day to come, but it had to when the move happened. And the shit that was in these bags (laughs) was just ridiculous. My favorite was a ruler, a ruler. Mm -hmm. I saved a ruler from my grandmother because it was hers. Like, what is that? Is that's oh my god. So, I can't imagine the things that you you see from people, or just like why that was even such a difficult decision for me. But then, years later, after her death, I was able to separate that and be like, Gianna, this is not going to yeah. make you feel any closer to my mom than anything else, or just her memory or pictures or whatever. I want you guys to talk a little bit about this decision fatigue that comes in with organization and how that can almost be enhanced in situations like this and organizing the things of your loved one that's passed? I think my situation with my mom was, it's extremely common. She got sick. I was dealing with an extremely complex medical situation. There were lots and lots of decisions along the Mm -hmm. way through those weeks of how to manage her care. These days with medical care, there's so many specialists. You're talking to a million people. You're communicating with family. You're dealing with funeral preparations. You know, all of the decisions that go into that is exhausting. And you really do develop decision fatigue. It, what, you know, we like to call decision fatigue and that you've made so many decisions. 
that it's hard to make even simple decisions. Your, your brain cannot do it anymore. Right. And then your decisions start to not be as good. You're just tapped out. Right. And also it's usually, you know, like things that you have to make decisions on right away. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's easier in some cases and understandably so yeah. to just put them off. Right. Like you were saying, right. I mean, right. that that happens and that's okay. I, but I think that's great. I yes. mean, I think absolutely. If you can give yourself a break and put them off, then like you did, you took a certain amount of the contents of their house and put it in a closet, but I'll get to it when I feel like I'm in my right mind. If you have the opportunity to do that. I think that's great. But I felt like when, by the time I got to setting up, I was the executor of my mom's estate. So by the time I got to like cleaning out her house, I mean, it was just, I did, I brought in, I needed help because I just couldn't, there were so many things, what to get rid of, how to get rid of it, when to get rid of it, you know, like all of that the entire contents of the house, it was just very, very difficult. That's important to note you, the professional organizer (laughs) brought in help. Yes. I think everybody needs help. It doesn't matter if it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a sister, you know, anything you need help. I mean, you cannot do this by yourself. You don't have to hire a professional, but you need somebody to help make decisions. I think a third party who's not emotionally connected to the situation can be incredibly helpful. Like, so for me, my mom was like books were like her life force. She loved books. She had tons of books. I, could, I couldn't take all of her books at my house and I couldn't mm-hmm. ship them out to California. So I went through and picked out the books that I wanted. And then I left and I had these ladies come in and pack up all the books and put them in boxes and take them away. Oh, that's smart. That's, yeah. that's kind of the way that I feel with some of the stuff that I still have remaining now. I think I would be fine to part with them, but it's that physical act of boxing them up and giving them away that is painful a little yep, bit. hundred percent. Right. It's like seeing them actually leave the house, right? Yeah. And being boxed up is, is almost harder than the actual decision to give them away, right? Because 100%. it feels very final and it feels very much like now these are no longer ours or hers. Now they're going to be somebody else's, which is mm-hmm. like a whole oh. level of letting go. Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, it's like, they won't know the people who get this book won't know how special the person who had this book was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard. I mean, my advice to somebody going through this process is to figure out your categories that are hard. For me, it was books. For somebody else, it might be their clothing. It might right. be their cookbooks. You know best what's going to be difficult for you, but you can't have help 100% of the time. Pick out those categories that you're going to be especially sensitive about and get some help. And I would just add that what is helpful too, and this person can help you perhaps is finding a good home for those things that you cannot keep and are ready to part with. You know, I think it's so helpful to know if, oh, these books are going to a local library, if the clothes is going to a women's shelter, or if the, you know, kitchen materials are going to help an immigrant family or a family who's, you know, moving into their first apartment. I feel like that can give you such satisfaction and relief in knowing that at least things are going to, to a good cause and to somebody who will enjoy them. I think it makes it a lot easier than for, for instance, just being like right. putting them in a trash can, yeah. of course, you know, so yeah, um, just a, an anecdote to, to kind of exemplify what Nicole just said. And the, one of the many ways Nicole has helped me, and especially during this time with my mom is, you know, she lived down in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where NC State University is. My mom had 
you know, a kitchen full of stuff. I ha I have a kitchen full of stuff. I could not really take very many of her kitchen items. Nicole's nephew, Ben, who's such a great guy, was a student at NC State and she called him and he came over and took almost all the kitchen stuff and brought it to international students at NC State who didn't wow. really have a lot of things yeah. for their apartment. And he just, he came, he took it off my hands he distributed it. And I knew my mom would just love that it went to those students. I, I just knew it was the perfect, perfect place for her stuff. And it was like, great. Thank you. And, and it was done. Gianna, we, we talked, you know, previously about when somebody passes away, there's so many well-meaning people who come around and say, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And yeah. it's very hard. You know, like, I don't, you know, I don't, really I don't know, know what you need, do anything yeah. to help, but maybe that's a task you could assign to yeah. someone. How about you research where we could give the books? that would be meaningful to me. It would have been meaningful to my mom. And, you know, maybe I could just put you in charge of that. And maybe, you know, you have somebody who's willing to lift all of these because there's the logistics, yeah. you know, that go yeah. on. So, mm -hmm. you know, once you've even decided that you're going to donate these books to the local library, like you've got to actually get that done. Right. Yes. And it's like, do you have somebody who can help me carry them? Right. Do you have somebody who can take them there? I mean, all of those things. I'm giggling a little bit <laughs> because Every now and then during this interview, I just have the image of Catherine sitting upstairs pumping with a beer in her hand. <laughs> I know. It's so, it's so funny. I do. I, I told that story and I feel like everybody who has had a kid and has pumped can, like I've got this beer. I'm like, and I'm drinking while I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this is, this is rock awesome. uh, Every now and then and she does, just creeps does, into my head and I just start giggling a little in the interview. It does symbolize though so much, right? The, like, so sort much. Of, like, that should be like on a greeting card somewhere. But not to sound cheesy. So sorry like, for your loss. Also, like, here, she doesn't have a choice, right? Yeah. I mean, she's got to be doing that while she's yeah. also got to be grieving her mom. Yeah. Like there's no... Yeah. There wasn't any yeah. option, right? So we can get those maternity <laughs> pants on and drink the beer because we are from Wisconsin. So that is what we do to cope. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, I think I'm thinking about it more deeply now, but the isolation of it. Yeah. The isolation of like being in this room, you know, because we all know like pumping and nursing can be, can kind of feel like that. And then Dealing with the death of a loved one is also really can be very isolating. Yeah. Also, another one of the things that you guys had said was you talked about clutter is unmade decisions. And I loved that because I feel like it really put like this label on, on what this is. And really it, it just boils down to decisions of what to do with some things. I do find myself like moving things from one pile to another pile. I'm not actually cleaning. I'm not actually organizing. I'm just shifting things around, but it yeah. makes me feel like I made a decision on something, even though I really didn't. So I love this thing about bringing somebody in to help you make those decisions. You had talked about a client who you've worked with many times before actually hired you guys to help a friend of hers who had just lost her husband, which is something I have never thought of or heard of before, but holy shit, is that a fabulous, fabulous gift yeah. for somebody that's grieving? I think she knew enough from this client of ours who hired us. She knew enough to know as a mother and um, not as somebody who had lost her husband, but as a mom and who somebody who makes a million decisions every day right. that like her friend who had just lost her husband suddenly at a very young age was just not going to be capable of making all of these decisions and taking care of her kids 
and taking care of herself. And, and this, it was the beginning of the it pandemic. It was the beginning of the pandemic. So there was no Ugh. funeral. There was no school. The kids were at home. She Ugh. didn't have time to grieve. Her kids didn't have time to grieve. They couldn't have people visit. It was just- oh God, that makes me worst, sick to my stomach. Yeah. The worst awful. possible situation. And this awful. woman who hired us, I mean, it's a phenomenal person regardless, but I thought it was just brilliant. And we, and you know, it's not, again, we're not like- you know, we kind of jump into every situation that, you know, we're faced with and every situation is a little bit different. And so it wasn't entirely clear what we were going to do, but we just sort of went to her, the widow. We said, okay, what can we do? And she said, make an Amazon wish list. Come and help my kids get their, their desks set up for virtual learning. Help me take some of these things out of my closet because mm-hmm. I can't look at them every day. Mm-hmm. And so it was just mm-hmm. like, she kind of, was present enough, like you were saying, like you kind of gone overdrive to know the things that needed to be done, but there was no right. way she was going to be able to execute right. them. To actually, and yeah. I thought it was, it, you know, it was a great gift to her. And, and again, just having people who were going to be empathetic and sympathetic to her situation, but that didn't necessarily know her was just having a third party, yeah. I think was helpful because she could just, just give us direction and tell us how to help. And we were there to you know do what she needed. So. Absolutely. We talked a little bit about a couple of things that would, would really help. Like obviously the bringing in a third party, figuring out those categories that are going to be the most difficult for you, mm-hmm. but what else can listeners do or, or what other pieces of advice do you have for somebody that is going to be making these decisions or is going to be tackling the items of their, their loved ones? Patience. I think patience. I mean, thanks to my father, I don't have any, so. I don't have any either, right? And we live in such a crazy world where everything happens immediately, but you have to know that whether you're dealing with somebody who's grieving or whether you're grieving yourself, it's not going to get done in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. Yes. And if you're going through a category that's difficult, books, you know, or whatever, that can be exhausting. And so 20 or 30 minutes of that might be all you have right in you. And you know, you need to give yourself and people around you just give give yourself a break, give yourself some grace. It's it's yeah. tough work. And it's not as if you know that some of these people might be like, but I can run a marathon. I can go on a run. I can work out. I work. Mm-hmm. I do all of these things. It's different. I mean yeah. when you're you, these are serious emotional decisions. So even though you think, oh gosh, I'm a superstar, I can do way more than 20 minutes of this in a day, you know, don't force yourself to make decisions that you don't feel equipped to make in the yeah. moment. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's something that I can look at myself and be like, "Mm, I think you're starting to feel a little griefy because like the simplest tasks will start to become difficult. And then I get so frustrated because I'm like, why can't I do this? I know that I'm totally capable of doing X, Y, and Z. Why is this hard? And Mm -hmm. you're so right. It's really when those emotions come in that makes these things that we think we're able to do easily, all of a sudden they're not. So that's a good thing for people that maybe are just encountering this to know that you're not going to be able to tackle something. Yeah. Women in particular, we have such high standards for ourselves and feel like we need to be constantly accomplishing things. And this is one moment where, you know, accomplishing things is probably not in your best long-term, you know. Right, and maybe somebody's never thought 
of speaking to an organizer or looking at it differently in their entire life because they've always been very good with keeping their home organized. They are one of those people that I've always envied and wish I could be. And then this happens and it's like, oh my God, why can't I do this? I do this all the time because it is completely different. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much feeding into what's going on in your conscious mind that makes all of it very difficult. I guess another piece of advice I would give to somebody going through this is, you know, let's say you've got a house or an apartment full of things where, where should I get started? You know, give yourself a break, but also find those categories that might be easy. Find the low hanging fruit that might help get you started. That won't be so hard. So for me, like my mom's tools, weren't a big deal. I was like, let's get those out of here. You know, like, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, just, just different things at her house that I was like, okay, let's get all those, you know, boxes of hair dye out of here. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care about that. And so that kind of helped get the momentum going. So right. I felt like I had more strength and like momentum going in. It's like a workout. You have to do a warm up first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, where, what's going to, what's, what's easy to think about what doesn't make much of a difference to you. So yeah. that would be where I'd, where I'd start. Another thing I want to touch on, and you guys probably know more about this than I do. So if you know some type of stat or something, please jump in. But there's something about like, it's actually a physical reaction that it reduces stress when there is less clutter and there's organization in the home, which is actually something that I just pulled up and showed to my husband just as like a little, you know, there's actually okay. me. Some there's some real studies that. been done on why I'm bitching at you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Aside from organizing the items of your loved one, can you give us some tips on just what people can do to organize their own space so that they can reduce some of that stress even when they come home at night? Right. So for sure, the studies have shown that clutter causes stress. And the reason is, is because your eyes can really only focus on a small number of things, right? So if you have stuff all over your house and on the walls and on the counters and whatever, and your eyes are kind of darting around, right? If they can't focus, it's hard to stay attentive to mm-hmm. things. It's hard to feel organized because your eyes and your, you know, you're just jumping around. It goes back to the clutter is unmade decisions. Typically, if you haven't put something away, it's because you don't have a place for it. You don't know what to do with it. You haven't sort of figured that out. And so whether you're conscious of it or not, when you're looking at all that clutter, you're seeing all this stuff you have to do, all these decisions yes. you have to make that you haven't made, that you're putting off, and that's contributing to a lot of stress, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of looking at all of these things and feeling overwhelmed, mm-hmm. I think, is a, you know, is why we always want people to have spaces in their house, even if, you know, your basement is a mess, right? And, you know, everybody sort of has an area in their home, which, you know, maybe they would like to be more neat or less cluttered. But at the very least, we think it's so important to have a few spaces in your home that are just off limits for mess, for clutter, for piles. It might be like, in my house, our kitchen island cannot have anything on it at night. When I go to bed, the kitchen island has to be cleared Mm -hmm. off because if I am implementing that rule in my home tomorrow. Because if I come down in the morning and I start to see all of this stuff, it immediately just like makes me anxious. I also like, and we advise a lot of our clients, right? Your bedroom should be a place that's restful and that feels calming. 
and not a place that you're hiding everything you don't want visitors mm -hmm. to see, which is what happens a lot. So, you know, even identifying a couple of spaces that are just going to be off limits to that stuff, I think is so important. So you have a place where you can go and feel calm mm -hmm. um, if that's an issue in your house. Really great tips. Thank you. We are in this virtual world now. So even though you guys are based in DC, you're able to see clients virtually. So if somebody that's listening today decides, you know what, this sounds like a great idea. I want to contact the ladies from Neat Nick. I want to get some help in either organizing my own life or organizing those of someone that just passed. What is that going to look like? Ta take us on the process a little bit on if someone is to ask for your help. We can do a lot virtually. Obviously, you know, I can see your very organized bedroom behind you. Oh, so we can, thank you. <laughs> whatever spot they're in in the grieving process can obviously take us around the home and they can say, oh my gosh, look at these bookshelves. I just don't know what to do with all of these. Look mm -hmm. at these closets. I need to do something. So yeah. the first step would be for us to really get a good sense of like an inventory or sort of what they're trying to deal with. And then as Catherine was saying, to kind of help them identify, like what are things we can assign to somebody else that, you know, you don't feel that attached to help you make decisions. You know, we would sort of be able to take an inventory, get them started prioritizing the steps, yes, absolutely. Um, prioritizing, having them get people assigned to different, and then also helping them research how to get rid of things or where things might go, right. just making the decisions of what they're going to give away, how they're going to give away, give it away and where they're going to give it away. We can help with all of those things. And then with the things that they're deciding to keep, right? We can help them figure out maybe that's something we could get framed and hung on the wall. Maybe these items mm. should just be put in a watertight plastic mm -hmm. bin labeled in your basement. You don't need to see them every day. You want to keep them. You want to have them. So yeah. helping to make decisions about what they would like to see and what remembrances they want to have around the house. And then those that can be, you know, kept, but stored elsewhere. So they're not creating clutter um, in the house mm -hmm. and aren't unmade decisions. Yes. And that can all change, right? Yes. I mean, you can put it in the basement now and right. in a year or two, you might decide, oh, I want to use this in some way. Right. So nothing, yeah. you know, a lot of things, a lot of decisions that you're making aren't absolute final, you know, so we exactly. just kind of help navigate and be a sounding board and help with solutions because we've done this a lot. Yes. Right. And so we can say, oh, we've seen a client do this with your mother's quilts or, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be. So, and we also have personal experience doing it. So, you know, with our own lives. So, I mean, I, I do think we bring, we bring a good, you know, viewpoint, an empathetic, you know, viewpoint to the conversation. I would also say just kind of um, piggybacking on what Nicole just said, you know, I like to sometimes think about this as working in layers, like you just kind of keep whittling it down. So you start with a whole house worth of stuff, and then maybe you can get it down to stuff that will fit in your basement <laughs> or stuff that will fit in a couple of rooms. And then maybe you wait a few months till you kind yeah. of get used to that. And then maybe you can look at it again with fresh eyes and say, you know what, that can go, that can go. So yeah. sometimes you just really need to kind of just keep, keep working at it in layers. 
that's what I've been doing recently. Yeah. I mean, we've been kind of nomadic and moving around. So when I take three months away from my stuff and I finally come home and I'm like, hello, you just made it three months without this and you survived. So you apparently don't need seven different versions of the same sweatshirt or whatever yeah. it is. Right. And you, you look at things with a different perspective and are able to get rid of it. And, and also with time really comes, Absolutely. like I said, you know, for some reason, right after my grandmother's death, that ruler was really just gonna keep me so much closer to her. <laughs> but the ruler can be useful. I mean, you can use the ruler. I mean, I think oh. that's cool. If it's just some random object, but you can use it in your in your life. Everybody yeah, needs a ruler. <laughs> I think we had a few of them, and I think I was like, "This is unnecessary." But like little things, like she had like a bunch of you know cute little notepads that were had different designs on them or whatever, and I was like, "Okay." maybe five of them is enough for me to keep, but I'll okay. gift some of them away to some of my younger cousins or whoever else mm -hmm. was in the family. And yeah. it's just such a mundane object, but to say, hey, this was my mom's, like, you know, it, it has uh, some type of, of value to it. So I yeah, my, but- I have my grandparents' silverware organizer. It's like a hundred years old and it's fallen mm -hmm. apart a million times and I keep, I keep fixing it. And that's what I use for my silverware, so. I was saying, I was going to say one other thing is that sometimes in the course of the grieving, right, there comes a time when, oh, somebody has to move out of the house or these decisions need to be made because somebody else is moving into a house and may want that chair that was your dad's favorite chair or whatever. And so sometimes it's, it's really helpful to people to have not only an objective point of view, but and again, I, we did, we have done a lot of stress. We have stressed how important patience is, but if there is a deadline to be met for any outside reason out of your control or whatever the case may be, meeting with us can kind of just keep you a little bit on track mm -hmm. and give mm -hmm. you sort of accountability. And yeah. so that it's like, I always say people hire us like a personal trainer, right? It's like, nobody really wants to work out, but like, once they're there and doing it, they feel good about it. And they right. know that they have this on their calendar. And so that right. they're going to sort of have to make some of these decisions. And again, we don't want, we're not stressing people out or telling them they have to, but when decisions get to a point where something has to be decided upon, it's always good to just have yeah. um, a little bit of accountability. And you drag your feet so. and you're dreading going to the workout, but you walk out of there like, oh, yeah. so happy I did that. Exactly. Exactly. You feel so 100%. much better afterward. Yeah. Or even five minutes in. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, Nicole and Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. As we close out, where can listeners find you on social, your website? What can they do? We have an Instagram presence. It is meetnick, M-E-A-T-N-I-K. DC, meet Nick DC. That is also our website. You can find us there. We would love to hear from you. Drop us a DM if you have questions or comments. We'd love to hear from people. Obviously a really important topic and one that's close to our hearts. And then, you know, through our website, you can contact us if you'd like to set up a virtual call or anything like that. But we love meeting people and hearing their stories. And that's what it's all about and getting to know them and helping them with their, you know, even though there are some tried and true sort of ways that we help people, we really do offer sort of personalized attention and try to apply things as necessary, apply organizing principles in a way that works right. for an individual. Yeah. As you know, grieving is not one size fits all. It looks different with no. everybody. So, so yeah. does organizing for sure. Awesome. Well, you guys are fabulous. Thank you so much for being here. This is super, super helpful. And Great. I hope the listeners are able to take all of this advice and apply it to whatever they may be going through. So thank you again. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at so sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of so sorry for your loss. So stay tuned.